Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. So today on the show, we are taking your phone calls and answering your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, before we do, I'll give you our phone number here if you would like to call in. That is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so today is January 22nd. And the way I look at it, we have about two and a half months to go till we're planting on our farm, hopefully. So around here, our first planting date is April 10th for corn. Now, I don't know that we're going to put in any small grain this spring. We might have to put in just a little bit at our field day site or something. So we might be ahead of that April 10th date. But when it's the middle of the winter, and today in your area might be one of the coldest days of the year, it's hard to get super excited and enthused about getting ready for spring. But a couple of things that I wanted to mention to you today. First of all, if you haven't checked lately, crop prices are quite a bit higher than they were a while ago. And yes, the markets today weren't great, but I'm not too worried about it. Next week, they'll probably rebound. I'm, I, I can't predict that. I'm not promising you that, but I'm optimistic. Anyway, the, the whole thing is crop prices are still a lot better than they were a few months ago. But what I'm concerned about is that everybody sees this, they get excited, they go, hey, wait a second here. A lot of these inputs, they weren't going to pay six months ago or even three months ago. Well, now I might do an extra shot of fungicide. Now I might bump my planting population. Now, because of commodity prices, I can do several more things that will actually pay me really good money now with today's market prices. So I think I'm going to do that. We've seen this happen enough times in the past to tell you this. It's very common when supplies start to run tight. And guess what happens then? Prices start going up. So I would just highly encourage you today here on a Farmer Friday, thinking about your economics and your finances for this year, that you lock in your input costs if you haven't done so already. Get your seed taken care of, especially get your crop protection products taken care of, not just for spring, but for summer and maybe even early fall as well. We know that a lot of these things are going up in price. Okay, Now, I'm not saying everything is, but I am saying there are going to be a lot of things that are going to start going up in price. So try to get out in front of that. You'll be money ahead. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! First question, this is from Evan in Illinois, and he said, I'm working with a farmer who would like to spread 150 pounds of manganese sulfate on his ground to get his levels up to where he needs them. He has one sandy farm with a pH of 5.5, another in the 6.2 to 6.8 range. Will there be crop safety issues applying that much manganese sulfate in one shot? I don't think so, but would I put on that much? No way. It's too expensive. When And you can do whatever you want, obviously, and I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. But all I know is this. We've done 50 pounds. We've done 100 pounds of manganese sulfate. And in both cases, I cringed writing that check. And in both cases, we put the stuff out and we didn't get the 
economic return that I was hoping for. So by all means, I would tell you, try three acres if you farm 3,000. Try a, you know what I mean, a tiny, tiny amount and try 150 pounds and see if that pays before you go doing a whole bunch because you are going to spend a fortune to put 150 pounds of manganese sulfate out there. Yeah. That's going to be that's going to be pretty spendy. And here's here's the big thing: when you do those things, uh, one thing our dad always told us is don't make the big mistakes. That's what's going to take you out of the game. So I would not do that. You mentioned just a couple of fields, maybe they're real small fields. I don't know, but but yeah, do do really expensive trials on I, a small scale. Yeah, I wouldn't do a couple of fields. I would do a couple of strips or three or four strips, and then I would test it and see if it pays. But I'm not optimistic. That is a crazy amount of money you're going to spend. All right. Uh, I get this question from Steve, who was on the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop live stream. He, he mentions uh, a product called MegaGrow. He said, you talked about this in your corn workshop. I'm wondering uh, who makes that, where I can find it, and do you have any details about what it is or what it actually does? Uh, yeah, so it's CH Bio, and it is IBA, and it's cytokinin. And if you look at the main plant growth hormones, it's usually people are talking, companies are talking about and trying to sell you gibberellic acid, which is not in this product, IBA, uh, which is endobuteric acid, and then cytokinin. So uh, for IBA, we are looking at... Let's see. I'm gonna make, I might mix this up. IBA cyt, uh, cell division, and cytokinin is more with root growth. If I remember right off the top of my head. Yeah, and it's it's two of those three major hormones. So if you're looking for a PGR, that's that's what you're going to be doing. And then the other side of that is that it is a patented safener for Roundup. So there there are no safeners for Roundup. When once you spray Roundup on a plant, especially at high doses, that plant has to put a lot of energy into working through that Roundup. So what it does, it actually pushes Roundup down into the root system rather than completely metabolize it. And by utilizing those plant growth regulators with it that, that are found in MegaGrow, they've found that the plant can continue growing. And I've seen this on our own farm because we have definitely used this product over the last 10 years. And we don't see the yellow flash like we do in spots where you leave the MegaGrow out. Oh, and as far as those growth hormones, I, I probably said it incorrectly. So let me just restate this and state it correctly. So IBA or endobuteric acids, a plant growth hormone, it's in the auxin family and it increases root development. Uh, kinetin is actually technically what's in MegaGrow. It's just a type of cytokinin. And kinetin is a plant growth hormone that promotes cell division when in the presence of an auxin like IBA. So there you go. And there are a lot of different PGR products. So the, the some of these plant growth hormones, these PGR products, a lot of different ones will have IBA and cytokinin forms in there. It's just mega grow. That's what it's got. It's 0.85% IBA, 0.15% kinetin. All right. Thanks for the question. Thanks for checking out the Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop as well. It's Farmer Friday on our show today. We'll be right back with more of your calls and questions after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. 
Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's about time. Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday today. That means our phone lines are open all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com, and we'll get your question or or whatever you want to discuss going on the radio today. Uh, let's start off this segment with Ryan up in North Dakota. Boy, have I got a lot of questions for you, Ryan. How are you doing today? Well, we're doing well, enjoying another unseasonably warm January day. I think that a lot of people might mistakenly think that Brian and I are in North Dakota and we're actually farming in South Dakota, but we, we're, we've been getting a lot of questions from people. All right, what are you guys up in the Dakotas going to be doing here with the acres switching and these market prices being as crazy as they are? And, and uh, I think South Dakota may be a little more to, easy to predict, but North Dakota, it seems like you guys have a lot of different options and many of them are pretty darn good right now. Well, that's it. We are. I mean, we, we can't grow tremendous corn. We can't grow tremendous soybeans, but we can grow good at a lot of different things, you know? So on our farm, we're sitting here going into spring as dry as we've been in, gosh, I would say a decade or more. You know, so what, what's going to happen with the rain? Do we put canola in that if we can get it going, doesn't need quite as much rain? Or do we put soys in? We don't have hardly any fertilizer down because it was dry. So, you know, that lends itself to a soybean crop. But, man, if we don't get some July and August rain, the, the, deep, the deep moisture is gone. So we're going to need it as timely as ever this coming growing season. Yeah, that's for sure. And I, I've been looking at the long-range forecasts, and a lot of them aren't really calling for a big break in our moisture situation. But, you know, who knows? They're just so far well, off, they can hardly predict next week. But the other thing, Ryan, once you say up in North Dakota, the concern is usually, can we even get the crop in? Because a lot of springs, it's so wet, you're behind the eight ball immediately. And with your short growing season, I mean, I'd personally rather have it dry in the spring and then pray for those rains later on, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, it, 
it is so different in the last 24 months. So the fall of 19, we didn't get any nitrogen down, any falls work done because we couldn't get into a field to do any tillage. And now this year we couldn't do any tillage because we were burning shovels out. We go out one day and come back in and you'd need to change shovels. So it is, it's setting itself up for a nice spring to get a lot of work done in a hurry. Of course, we're only January. We can get some big March, April snowstorms and the conversation be completely different. But you're right, it is it is nice to go back and forth in the field for a change than around and around. You know, I, I think about the, the soybean acres in North Dakota, and the other thing that I was thinking about is just, man, you've had some goofy deals happening lately where farmers have combined twice in one year, and you've had frost early. And where are you sitting in North Dakota? How have these kind of weather conditions impacted your crops? You know, we had a good crop last year. I went and I did sunflowers for the first time in probably 20 years and had a really nice sunflower crop, especially, you know, for not having experience doing it for so long. And so there's always a learning curve that first year back in something. And I'm sitting here saying, do I do that again? Or, you know, am I going to lose 10 bushel of wheat on that sunflower ground versus the canola or the soybean ground because it sucks so much more moisture out? And so there is, there's just a lot of, a lot of indecisions. What I'm hearing, you know, we've had a nice wheat rally, but it's still still doesn't quite put it up there with a good soybean crop you know so there's there's always uncertainty in january but i'd say there's more there's more uncertainty and certainly more flexibility going into this next year's planting season well, i'm certainly glad for the farmers in north dakota who have the the skill number one to be able to raise so many different crops but but even to have the options on the table and yeah, what a what a fun year. Like you say, there's a lot of uncertainty, but it's kind of fun when there's, hey, I could actually make money on more than one crop here, so I got some good choices I can make. We're talking with Ryan up in North Dakota. Ryan, thank you so much. Good luck here heading into the spring. Thank you, and have a good rest of the winter. Yeah, you too. Let's head out to North Carolina. Got AO on with us right now. Hey, how's it going, AO? It's going well. We are. We we got a, a week of drying spell here, so we're getting some top dressing out on well, some ammonia sulfate out on some wheat to help pull it through what the winter kind of took away from us. And uh, but anyway, uh, and and ditching, and it's going to start raining again Monday. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, we're trying to make the best of everything we can while we can. You bet. Yeah, that's that's how it goes on the farm. You just, yeah, like I say, you just do what you can do and, and what the weather's going to allow. Now, AO, you got a chance to stop in at the Ag PhD studio. And I mentioned for, for those of you listening today, AO's from North Carolina. And, you know, it's really fun for us to be able to meet people that, that we talk to on the radio and, and get to know, you know, through all the different things that, that we do. And, and that was sure nice having you stop through. Just wondering, what was your impression as you came in? Well, I'm in the seed business too, so you know the the seed operation, you know, w- was great. But getting to see the, the studios and uh, and what have you was uh, was awesome. And just the time you spent with us, we do greatly appreciate it. I had like my one of my friends with me and my wife and all, and uh, and everybody really enjoyed it. Y'all were y'all were top notch. And that was I was going to Yellowstone, and that was the highlight of of my uh, my whole 
thing was being able to stop in there because I hate to say it, but farming is my blood. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I know driving from here to Yellowstone seems like a long drive to me. So to, to make it there from North Carolina, I could assume you were ready to stop a little bit and, and talk a little farming. So we really appreciated having you through. All right. Now talk to us about what's going on at home right now. And what are you thinking going into this year? The markets have kind of gone a little bit crazy on us and, and in a good way, fortunately, if, if you're a grain producer, are guys thinking about raising anything different? Um. We're hearing right many tell us they're, they're backing out of uh, of cotton this year. Some of our growers have asked to increase their seed acres this uh, this coming year because they're going to back out of uh, of cotton. Some uh, I think pretty much the corn will probably hold its its weight uh, the way it's been in the past right around here. Um, but I do believe you know bean acres are going to increase. Uh, we didn't get as much small grain in the field as we wanted to, but I will say one thing: we had, we were able to clean everything, uh, sell everything we had on the floor. So that that was good. Um, we got wet quick uh, by Thanksgiving. We were we were wet, so we had we had got 750 acres planted prior to Thanksgiving, and it got wet, and we just quit. We said we wouldn't plant anymore. And but anyway, some of the other places weren't as wet as we were, so. They were able to continue, so uh, we had a good year. Uh, bean crops were way above average. They weren't the best we ever raised. Uh, wheat crop was just probably as, as good as we've ever raised, and corn crop was uh, right at the top. I won't say it was the best, but it was right at the top also. That's awesome. Yeah, if you got some grain in the bins now, it's worth some money, no doubt about that. What is basis oh, yeah. like in your area? Like you mentioned that corn, and I think you're typically a corn importing area, correct? Just with the livestock and everything. Well, yes, they will. Uh, they they do import a little bit that comes in here, but uh, for the most part, most of the markets are able to to be covered by the the grain producers, you know, locally. But they there is some. Sometimes when we're at the elevator, that they're bringing some stuff in by rail and uh, but, uh, basis uh, sixty to eighty cent. Eighty cent was the best I heard over on uh, on corn. Uh, most of it's running about sixty cent over. Uh, that's wow. You're gonna have to drive fifty to a hundred miles to get that, but you know that's that's what's out there. Yep. Well, we could do the math uh, on that bean, one and look at the board. That sounds pretty good to me. Oh yeah, and and bean prices are uh, fifty to you know have been some sixty cent quotes, but you know fifty cent over uh, on now. Uh, wow. We were able to we we locked some beans in at, for a new crop for twelve dollars. We just I was like I've taken a whole lot less. <laughs> that's right yeah you can't go broke when you're taking a profit that's not a bad deal at all well hey ao it's good talking to you again and uh once again thanks for stopping in here this last fall we really appreciated that and it was really nice to get to see you yep same here we appreciate your time you and, and enjoy your program you bet. Thank you very much. Good luck heading into the spring. It's Farmer Friday on our show today, and you don't have to be like AO and drive all the way from North Carolina to come in here. You can just give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping Dad. And Dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters. 
that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH. Built by farmers. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. If you've got any questions for us, we'd love to talk to you. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So next in the show, we're going to go back to the phone lines, and we've got our good friend Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. We often bring Tony on just to talk about grain storage situations. And Tony, I wanted to talk to you today about these varying temperatures. So I know livestock producers right now are a little unhappy about how drastically these temperatures are changing and fluctuating, going from almost 50 degrees a couple days ago to we had a wind chill of zero degrees this morning. How's that affecting our grain quality and what should we be looking for? Good questions, Brian. The uh you know, there are a handful of things that occur on these bins right now. 
first of all, when you get this uh, sun heating on the uh, on the south side, yep, we can get some uh, heating on that skin. Uh, the grain heats up. The moisture is going to come off that grain and migrate to the uh, inward into the cooler core, depending on what temperature they've got their yep. the core of their bin. And another thing, although you know when you talk about the real cold temps. Uh, in past years, when we've had uh, more of these dips down to uh, 10 and 20 below here in the upper Midwest, yeah, uh, you might see more of it. The northwest side, this this is a comment I get a lot from people. The northwest side will have uh, deterioration. That north skin from the uh, wind hitting it will suck the heat out on that steel skin there, and moisture will migrate to the metal. And then we'll have condensation along there in a, in a frost layer and rotting and deterioration right along that north wall, northwest wall. The, uh, so I, don't, <laughs> I, I personally think about this year. I don't know that this has been that bad of a year for it yet. Yeah. Uh, although right now, you know, locally where I'm at, uh, you know, we dropped down to three degrees last night, which yep. seems pretty, pretty bad to me. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, you know, those are a couple things that you need to be thinking about. And then uh, the 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 main there's a couple patterns. You and I have talked about this before. the 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 standard is uh, that you want to keep your grain uh, within a few degrees of what the average temperature is for your your climate where you're located. And obviously, uh, Missouri and uh, Tennessee and Kentucky are going to be different from us up here. Right. on the uh, northern Iowa, Minnesota, South Dakota-type territories. but uh, And, uh, you know, the old school is keep it above 32, and uh, there are some trains of thought of, of taking it colder than that. But uh, the uh, there, there's things there that people need to be thinking about. The big thing to me is I always like to see people go out and run their fans at least once a month Looking at the average core temperature, so they're running air in that that is what really is their core temperature of their grain bin, and break up those convections we were just talking about, whether it be sun on the south skin or be that really cold uh, wind on the uh, northwest skin. Yeah, I, that's that is interesting, and I hadn't really thought so much about the sun, but yeah, I'm totally with you on how the moisture moves in the different areas of the bin. Hey, we had a question come in too from Brandon. He asks, uh, "I've got 10% moisture beans in my bin. I don't have any kind of bin management today, but I'm wondering if I turn my fans on on a rainy day, would that pump some moisture back into them?" And I, I guess you can answer that too, Tony, but my first thought for Brandon is, sure, I mean, that could pump some more moisture in, but if you're just doing that for a few hours on one day, that's not going to take your beans from 10 all the way up to 13% most likely. So that's where we kind of look more at these automatic bin fan controls and just bin monitoring in general and some of the stuff that you do. So anyway, what would your response to Brandon be? First thing I'd be saying to Brandon is uh, when you're talking on a rainy day, you've got humidities that are probably 90 to 100%. Yep. And any of us who have cleaned out a, uh, a bean bin before, somewhere in our lifetime I've seen where on the floor we will see uh, part of the floor has got four to six inches of rotten beans yep. that are almost like concrete. Yep. That comes from running the fan there's two things. One is like running the fan. The other is maybe some fans that don't have covers on that moist air comes in. But if you let 
uh, damp air into the floor that is like 90% humidity and above, yeah. uh, it will swell the beans on the floor so tight that no air will get through them. And that's what generates that rotten crust. Sure. So the first thing I always tell people is uh, when we're running our automatic controls is set them at to shut off at 85. And if they've yeah. got a really big fan, I might say 88. Don't go beyond 90 because 90 is, I know 90 and above causes problems. <laughs> All uh, right. No, go ahead. The, uh, so, you know, aside from that, what your, your comments on uh, the uh, just a few hours, yeah. it's going to take, uh, if you've got good humidity, when I say good humidity for raising it, I'm thinking 75 to 85% sure. humidity. Yep. It's, it's going to take days. And it's, uh, right. our next right. question is, how how many how many beans and how big is his fan? Yeah, I I know there are, there are a lot of things to go through with that, but I, I guess I I don't think for Brandon's sake just doing it one time. We've tried enough manually operating these things just a few times here and there, and it's really hard unless you're you're monitoring that very well. Well, we've been talking to Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. Just go to farmshopmfg.com for more information on him and any of his products. Tony, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Hey, you take care. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Thank you. Let's head up to Manitoba. We got Herb on with us right now. Uh, Herb, how are you today? Uh, very fine, actually. Got another beautiful day out here. You bet. You bet. All right. Well, what are you what are you thinking about today? You got any questions for us, or or any observations of what's going on on your farm? Well, we had a good growing season. We were. We started off on the wet side. Seeding was a little bit challenging. We should have actually waited a little bit, but uh, we went in this part of the world. You don't have many days to put your crop no, in. No, you so don't. Just, that's tricky, Herb. You, you say that maybe we should have waited a little bit, and it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, "Okay, well, here's how the weather turned out." But man, you guys have a narrow window to get it all done. Basically, we figure. My brother says ten days. I didn't quite agree with him but but the bottom line is that's we got to figure on getting our crop in the ground in 10 days yeah yeah i know there's a rush and i think i guess if uh, if you're listening today if you didn't catch it herb is up in manitoba so so just north of the border here from us just and not not too long a drive actually from where we're at but as you go north it gets shorter and shorter so what did you raise this year that turned out good herb well actually the the wheat did very well the canola canola and the corn turned out well too uh, the higher prices are certainly making the bottom line look very good yeah the canola is one that we're talking to growers down in north dakota that are kind of in dry situations they're talking like canola might be a good option for them this year in terms of handling dry weather if they get enough moisture to get it started is that been your observation too and does the canola price look like that might be the winner going into next year where you can raise it um, uh, I guess the thing is we have been very, the last three years, we have been amazed at the crop we can grow with what we considered a shortage of moisture. And I have, we've come to the conclusion that one of the biggest things is, is that when it is, when we're faced with drier conditions like that, we simply have a lot less plant diseases. And interestingly enough, for the most part, the last three years, we could have skipped our fungicide applications on wheat and canola and uh, saved all the money. We did some of the time. 
Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's tough to guess that one too. When you're making those, you're out in front of the disease and you think, oh, it looks like it's going to be good. I know for us in our firm last year, it was, oh, we had plenty of moisture and all of a sudden we didn't. And yeah, there are some things we maybe could have changed up. No doubt about that. Well, and one of the things is that uh, that is goes back about five years. We had some test test strips that were in perfect side by sides. I'd be, and I feel quite comfortable in stating that we got about ten to twelve bushels an acre wow. better on canola, where we put on the fungicide that to give us something like us uh, give a five to six to one return on investment. Yeah. We hate to miss on that. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, Herb, thank you so much. Really appreciate a chance to talk to you today. Good luck. You're heading into the spring. Thank you. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your Burndown. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting today on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We get questions literally from all over the world, and I had a couple of them today that came in, and I think a lot of the ag terminology doesn't necessarily translate. It's hard to find a word. Uh, got one from Landon, and he asked, what exactly do you mean when you say germination? And Landon, what we're talking about there is when the seed takes in some water and then it starts to grow. So we're looking at germination percentage a lot on seed just to make sure that the seed that we're going to put in the ground is in fact going to germinate. So seed will get sent in early. They'll run tests on it just to make sure that all that seed is going to germinate. And then get one from K. Wait, K. wait oh. can I? It, yeah. it was another germination question? Yeah. Oh, okay. Go ahead. And, and Well, it wasn't germination. It's another terminology question. Well, yeah, because I want to clarify a little more on that germination question. Just because something sprouts, does it doesn't count toward the germination score unless the young seedling appears normal. And there are standards in the seed testing industry for, well, what's normal and what's not. But when you look at a seed test, it, some of the labs will actually tell you, hey, this many died, this many were abnormal. So you subtract the dyed and the abnormal, and that's what gets you your final germination percentage. Yeah, the other one was from KK who said, you mentioned the terms pre and post. What, are, what exactly are you meaning? And, and here's what we're talking about. When we're talking about spraying things in the field, pre-emerge means before that crop is up out of the ground, and post-emerge is when that crop is up and growing, something they're going to spray that's safe to spray over the foliage. So when we're thinking about weed control, for example, a lot of times we'll use something before the plants are even out of the ground, and that that's just going after uh, killing them off, killing the roots or the shoots off on those plants to stop them before they emerge. And then if those weeds do happen to get up, and now the weeds are growing and competing with your crop, then we would spray post-emerge or after-emergence to try to take those out. Hey, thanks for those questions. I know if, if you're listening here, us use some terminology that doesn't make sense. Please ask us to clarify. We, we'd love to help you out. We want everyone to get the most they can out of what we're talking about here. Uh, head down to Kansas right now. we got Ron with us. Ron, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Well, pretty good. Pretty good. What's happening on your farm? Well, um, tell you what, it's, uh, it's been quite, quite a winter. It's been very open. And, uh, well, I'm delivering some corn as we speak, uh, building a pond for an irrigation project. And, uh, well, that's, that's keeping us pretty busy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So talk to us about this irrigation project. Is it, it's new irrigation for you or is this something that you're uh, expanding or, or improving one that you already had? Okay. No, on this, it's, it's a new project on this farm. Um, I'm building a pond for reserve. I, I can pump out of the creek, uh, here in Kansas, but you know, we've got Minimum desirable stream flow, so when the creek drops below a certain level, then the state shuts you off, and that's why I'm building this pond for reserve when that happens, and uh, could possibly happen this year the way it's acting. 
Yeah, yeah, it sure could. Actually, you know, it seems like more of the calls and, and emails we've gotten from folks in your neck of the woods have said, might be a good year to grow some sorghum. Looks like the moisture situation might be a little tight or at least a little tenuous. Are you changing anything in the rotation on your farm? Well, yes, I, Baron, I, I am, and uh, I am going to be planting more sorghum acres. Um, not so much just for rotation, but just because of the price. Now, I hate to say that because now your listeners are all going to hear this. All, <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, we'll so, be quiet about that. We don't know what Ron's talking about here, but, uh, yeah, we're we're going to go with sorghum <laughs> out in the field just because the agronomics look good. Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Uh, Well, I I like it. We were talking uh, with Ryan up in North Dakota, and he was kind of saying the same thing. Now, he wasn't talking sorghum, but he was saying canola is a more drought-tolerant crop for them, and he was thinking about switching some acres over to canola potentially just because they were fairly dry. And, you know, it's just one of those things that you have to think about. The the irrigation piece now, how much of your farm is irrigated? Are you able to add any more projects? Um. I think this is probably going to be probably about it. You know, this uh, this is a surface water project, and so, you know, that changes the dynamics of it somewhat where versus a well, you know, which we can't drill anymore in Kansas. So. Yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. I know the, the well drilling thing is, is pretty limited, and there's a lot of permitting, and then also you've got to have a tremendous aquifer with excess capacity, too, to, to make that all happen. But uh, this this is good, though. I mean, if you can do this, how many acres are you going to have to tie up with this pond? Well, um, let's see. This one's going to be about 12, about okay. 12 surface acres. So, you know, it's not quite what I'd like, but it's about my only solution, and we'll just have to make it work. Yeah, that sounds like farming. It's not always ideal, but we try and make it work. Yes. Well, Darren, you know know as well as I do that, you know, sometimes just an inch or two of water at crucial times makes the crop, and so... This is what I'm hoping to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you say, if you can irrigate out of the the creek there when it's good, and then hey, you might just be able to hold an inch or two in that pond. That that could be all the difference. Hey, now you mentioned you were hauling grain. Did you say you were hauling corn to town? Yes, sir. All right. So you decided it was time to pull a plug on some of it. Uh, are, are you happy with that, or you think it's going to get even getting get even better? Well. It's a, to me, it's a two-edged sword. I do feed livestock. So, uh, you know, I'm paying for it on one end and getting it on the other. But, uh, yeah, I just I just sold this last week to uh, a hog producer, and he wants it by the end of January for some reason. But So we're busy getting that done. You bet. And so uh, do I think it's going to get higher? Well, for me, I think the high is in for right now. It's going to take a weather event, I think, to kind of reverse the course. Yeah, it's going to be interesting unless, to see what, what happens with USDA, the weather coming in. Okay, unless USDA or NAS surprises us again, you know, sure. with numbers. Sure. 
hard to tell what they're going to come up with that South American crop, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how these things play out. But in the meantime, uh, as we've said already at least once on the show, you can't go broke taking a profit. So if you're hauling grain in at a price that's profitable to you, well, kudos. That's a good deal. It's always fun when you can make a little money. Well, we've got to pay the bills. That's for sure. Well, hey, Ron, I yeah. know you're a busy guy. really appreciate talking to you today here, and good luck here heading into the spring. All right, and everybody, your listening audience, everybody stay healthy. Uh, you bet. Good point. Yeah, that's for sure. We're uh, we're definitely trying to be smart about that one. Uh, Brian, we get a number of questions that have come in here, too. Let me start with this one. Uh, this is from Marty. He said, I've got the capability of applying dry fertilizer with my corn planter. I want to put 200 pounds of urea on the surface at planting, so that figures out about little better than 90 pounds of actual N. Okay. Do you think that's safe to do? And what well, considerations would you have? Get rain. rain. That's, that's my consideration. So if it's untreated urea, you've got 48 hours. If you don't have rain in 48 hours, you're going to start losing it. He said also, if, if you don't like that, then what other source of nitrogen would you do? I like 28% better. Ammonium sulfate would be better. I mean, there are a lot of other sources that aren't going to disappear on you as quickly. So, yeah, I mean, like on our farm, if we're putting urea out, we're planning to work it in. If we're putting liquid 28% out, that could be in no-till or conventional till. So that that's our general rule. Now, if we luck out and get rain or we look at the forecast and it says we have a 90% chance of rain tomorrow, yeah, then we'll take the chance. But otherwise, there's just a lot of risk. All right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, Marty. You got a drainage question from Brandon who said, I've got a drainage issue towards the edge of my field. Just wondering what I should do about it. We'll talk about that and dive into some more of your calls and questions right after this. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit DelaroComplete.us today. I'll take predictability where I can get it. With their CropWise Seed Selector, NK Seeds combines local knowledge and local data to show me where their seed fits. And even where it doesn't. Because out here, predictability is hard to come by. And success matters. Find your seed at nkseeds.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. 
How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy to handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Welcome back. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls at 844-44-AG-PHD and your questions at radio at agphd.com. And that's exactly what Brandon did from Ohio. He sent us a question about tiling. He said he's got a small spot. It's not big. It's only like 50 by 50, but it's on the outer perimeter of one of his bigger fields. There's always water over there, it seems like, and it's just low enough that the water doesn't get away. Unfortunately, though, it's 300 feet to the ditch. So I'm just wondering, should I try to run the tile right through the center of that, or would you run along the edge? It's hard to say without actually looking at it, I realize, yeah. but I'll be using an excavator to do the digging. I'm afraid <laughs> that it stays so wet if I dug into the middle of that thing, I'd have a tough time trying to keep on grade, and the walls of the trench might just fall in. Okay, so when we start talking about walls of the trench, that's where, number one, make sure you're working with somebody who's super, super careful, or if you're doing it yourself, I, I, let's just put it this way. Safety always has to be number one. So do this as safely as you possibly can. Number two, when there is a fair amount of water, sometimes people will bring in a dewatering system and pump the water out short term so then they can get the line installed without having everything cave in immediately but even so it's most likely going to cave in so you have to plan for that uh, in terms of this spot i'll i'll say this if you get something in there at all or near there chances are you're going to start to dry up that spot so you could do this in phases you could do it in three four five different phases if you wanted to get close then Go in again, get a little closer. Go in again, get a little closer. So, I mean, there are a lot of ways to do this, but yes, if you're constantly having water issues there, then I would absolutely be looking to take care of that. And I would, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. A lot of people look at tile inlets in low spots. I hate those. And here's why I do. Because now you've got tile that's going right to the soil surface and, and some people also say, well, how about a French drain? Well, all you're doing is putting some big rock there. So it's almost like you've brought tile to the soil surface. My, my problem with all that is you get soil, chemical, and fertilizer down in that tile line. 
plus the tile runs immediately when you start getting rain. A normal tile line without an inlet does not start running immediately when you get rain. It only runs when the water table rises above the level of the tile. You also don't get fertilizer, chemical, or soil in that tile line to any degree. So you have way cleaner downstream water. In fact, in most cases, it's drinking water quality when you run a normal tile line as opposed to when you have some kind of inlet out there. Uh, other than that, my thought was, and as soon as Darren mentioned, oh, it's this one area and it was near the edge of a field, I just started th thinking about compaction. Because I know on our farm, we have, we've had some spots near driveways or, you know, it was the driveway or near the driveway where we just ran it over, ran it over, ran it over. Or the trucks in the fall always parked there or whatever. I'm just saying sometimes it can be a compaction issue too. And the compaction could be we need to do more tillage and, and bust up the hard pan. It could be we need to get more organic matter in there. It could be we need to get more calcium in there something to alleviate the compaction issue. So it could be drainage. It could be compaction. I don't know. Either way, obviously, yes, I'm always trying to address those things on our farm, and I can certainly see why you would want to as well. Thanks for the question. Got this one from Ed in central Missouri. He said, I've got some river bottom ground. It's one, well, it's one field broken into three parts here. It's owned by my dad. He's been renting it out to somebody else. And after many years of asking, he's finally going to rent it out to me starting in 2022. But the challenge is I know the pH is really low with a lot of the field in the fours. And I want to get lime out there now, even though I know the current tenant will get one year of benefit out of that lime. Uh, then I'm just kind of curious, what do you guys think about the lime idea? What do you think about uh, nutrients that I should hit? What would you start with trying to uh, get the field going? I'd like it to pencil out long term, and I'm willing to throw quite a bit at it in the short term. Yeah, so lime is always number one. Our only concern for you is that you don't put lime where it should not go. So if you have some pH spots in the sixes, for example, I'm not putting any lime there for sure. I'm going to definitely put a fair amount on where I have uh, pH in the fours, and I'm going to put some lime on where I have pH in the fives. But even fives, you go, ooh, that uh, is there's really the, low. Here's okay. the grid pH map. Brian. Oh, okay. Hey, first of all, good Thank job you. getting grid samples taken out there. That's or, awesome. It, or zone samples. In his case, it might be zones, whatever whatever you call it. But he, I think Dar where Darren's going with this is you took quite a few different samples and kept them separate, and we like that. So anyway, what I was going to say is you've got some in the, let's call it 5.4 pH. Well, you also have some that's down in the 4.6 kind of pH range or 4.5. So obviously in the fours is going to need more lime than the fives. But where I was going was, okay, you say, well, I'm in the fives. My goodness, I got to have all kinds of lime. Yeah, we made that mistake too. And we ended up over liming in some cases. So use lime in moderation always is what we tell people. Just don't overdo it because you start driving that pH up too high and now you can actually hurt crop yield. And then it either takes years for the pH to come down or you have to spend money getting pH down with elemental sulfur. In terms of other nutrients that we're looking at, it's the same ones we always talk about on the show. It's, it's phosphorus and potassium. And your potassium levels, like for base saturation, are 1% to 2%. So that's something that we would start working on immediately. 
when we pick up new ground, just like you're going to now farm what to you is new ground, that's the first thing that we're looking at. And you know, after pH, it's the P and the K. And we got to get those levels up. And for you, you have average 19 CEC, so it's relatively heavy ground. Your P and K aren't going anywhere. So put it out there, get your levels up, get your soils in balance with other nutrients as well. So in other words, you got to make sure you've got ample sulfur out there. Looks like your zinc levels are already pretty good. Copper levels aren't bad. So you got a lot of good things going especially the fact that your dad owns the ground and hopefully you're now going to farm it long term. But yes, you definitely have to get lime and potassium addressed and soon. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, this comes from Conrad in central Nebraska after checking out your corn agronomy meeting. I'm wondering about sulfur. How many pounds would you recommend for 250 bushel corn? Here's a little background. A lot of the soil samples are lower than 10 parts per million, and on your fertility review, your corn yields increased as your soil sulfur parts per million were higher. Yep. Your graph showed many samples over 30 and 40 parts per million. Now, right. hey, I would point out right at this point too, Conrad, that was after the crop came off, not <laughs> right. before. So right. we were much higher than that before we planted the crop. Now, Conrad says, on average, we're putting on 35 to 40 pounds of sulfur, some in strip-till, oh, a majority good. through pivot fertigation okay. to meet crop removal. but in your high yield test plots, uh, it looks like you're putting on a lot more sulfur out yep. there. Just wondering, should our sulfur rates be higher than 40 pounds? It looks like you guys are using more. Okay, let's put it this way. 250 bushel corn needs a grand total of 38 pounds of sulfur. Now that's assuming zero loss. And for you, if you've got pivot irrigation and you can throw some on at a time when you do it, you aren't going to have nearly as much loss as a person who puts it all out in advance. Okay. So is 40 enough? That's a good question. I would say that's a pretty good starting point, but in your higher yielding spots, I, I might shoot for just a little more than that, and then you can track it and see, is does it pay later on you know, in yield when you have gone with a little higher sulfur levels? I'll also tell you that when you have adequate sulfur throughout the season, your plant is much better at utilizing the nitrogen that it gets. So that means you can get by with slightly less nitrogen if you have your sulfur levels in good shape. So yeah, 40 to me applied there in your situation it's probably a minimum i don't know that you have to go a whole lot more than that but maybe just a touch more especially in the high yield spots all right thanks for the question get this one from doug i believe in illinois he said i like your three pre's on soybeans but what should i do if i'm planting into green standing cereal rye i'm going to be using enlist soybeans this year yeah, it's actually something we're going to address just a little bit at our soybean agronomy workshop that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't know that I'm going to change a whole lot. I, I, I don't. I, I just think add something in to burn the rye down. Yes. Something like yep. Roundup, for yes. example. So everybody gets worried about the hang up you know, of these residual herbicides in residue. And will there be some? Yes. But that residue does break down, and you know how it is. It actually breaks down fairly quickly. So I, I would, like Darren said, use something, probably a good strong rate of glyphosate, burn that stuff down, and if you want to spray your three pre's later, you can. I'd probably do it all at the same time. Thanks for the question, Doug. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.